Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Something to Declare. We're pleased to have you with us. Um, Beth, hello. Good morning. How are you? Hello. It's really lovely to, um, to be here. And yeah, I'm doing okay. It's, it's busy, but we're looking forward to the fact that term is about to end and life is about to get a little bit calmer. How are you, more importantly? Well, uh, I have uh, finally, after two and a bit years, uh, succumbed to uh, coronavirus. So I've uh, been off most of the past week with COVID. Actually hit me a lot more than I was expecting. You know, I've had all my jabs and been reasonably cautious. But uh, uh, the children have just gone back to school this morning with clear tests. I think I'm a couple of days behind uh, them. But it, it really did take me out more than I was expecting. And even now, still a bit... Uh, tired after I do anything vaguely energetic mm. um I mean that might just be getting old but um it definitely has been it, it's more than something that you just could crack on with it, it definitely has stopped me in my tracks this week um, but I'm particularly uh, grateful in the midst of all of that for all the wonderful people um in our church and particularly Hannah and Nikki who work with me um, and my colleague uh, Vicky as well, who, who have just covered everything that needed covering, and you know there was all sorts of things in my diary this week that was tricky. And I was due to come to Regents, which I'm not going to be able to do. I, so I look forward to hopefully doing that again in the future. But um, people have been brilliant, and I'm just wonderfully appreciative of people with all the admin skills. So I've messaged them saying, "Oh, can you think about this on Thursday?" And we need to find someone. To, already done it. It's all sorted. And I just people who have that gift are uh, a blessing and I'm very grateful for them so it's been a, not the week that I expected to have had but uh, we're on the upward curve now so grateful for that but uh, been a poignant reminder to me certainly about Covid still being very real and relevant and still uh, being out there most of I think I've, we got it through one of my children at school um, most of their class seems to have been off with it over the last week um, and we were very grateful that we had a visitor with us on Sunday who was sharing about some work with the European Baptist Federation. Ah, who I also um, saw this week. Ah, you saw Will. Lovely yeah. Will. Um, so shout out to Will. Hi, Will. <laughs> he was doing some work in, in the UK and was with us on Sunday. And obviously I wasn't able to see him, but he was still willing to come to the church and uh, spoke very movingly about uh, work with refugees across the EBF region. And uh, that was, yeah, quite, I was able to watch on online because we live stream. So I was there on our YouTube channel watching everything unfold and uh, they didn't miss me at all. They had a great morning. So that was also rather delightful. I think, um, yeah, just kind of thinking about uh, the work that Will is doing, because um, he has a brief for refugees across the EBF, but obviously that's taken a particular angle at the moment with Ukraine. Um, and I'm aware that we're always a bit out of out of loop for the for the news. So, um, but it but it was really um, really extraordinary. I think how Baptist churches have picked this up and run with it uh, across the EBF and all of the work they're doing. And I think the EBF team sound like um they are once again proving how those kind of bits of administrative support are everything in these moments of coordinating um and yeah. um so it's really it's a proud a proud international baptist moment i think um for me um in that and yeah just really grateful for them and um, just a big saying that we're praying for you in that um in this season that yeah i know we said this last week as well but i feel like such a pressing piece of news at the moment um and, and kind of hearing about that firsthand in a particular way this week has been um, something to really reflect on. Mm. There's a great uh, interview uh, with Alan Donaldson um, that Phil Jump's done, um, I think, as part of their Northwest yeah. Association Ministers Conference, uh, which is on YouTube. So if folks are listening, uh, you can listen to that uh, via, via YouTube or it's doing the rounds on, on Twitter and Facebook as well. And it's well worth listening to to get a sense of what's what's going on mm. um, but talking of people who make us feel a bit proud to be Baptists Beth I mean this is really why the podcast exists isn't it but it is. uh, one of those <laughs> for me is our guest today so we've got uh, Reverend Ewan Huffman on today um, Ewan was uh, Minister of Winchester Baptist Church when I was at university in Winchester and just someone who has 
brought so much joy and wisdom to my own spiritual journey as well as to uh, ministry and I'm really pleased that he was up for being interviewed because he has a very interesting job now as the lead chaplain at Hinkley Point C uh, which is a nuclear power station being built in uh, North Somerset and yeah so let's listen in to uh, what Ewan had to say. Hello, Ewan, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, main man. Good to chat to you. It's great to chat with you. Thank you so much for coming on. And it's good to, to see you and catch up after um, we were talking about it a little while ago. I don't know how long it is, but it's years. Uh, so uh, really appreciate you coming on and uh, telling us about what you're up to, because you, you, I think, have one of the most interesting jobs that I've come across in the whole of uh, the union at the moment. And so I'd love to hear a bit more about it. And you're, you're at Hinkley. Um, what does the job involve? How did it come about? Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so um, Hinkley Point C is the largest construction site in the UK, possibly in the whole of Europe. And it's the next generation of nuclear power stations. So, and I am the chaplain to the people there. So I, I'm the first salary chaplain to the construction industry in the UK as far as I can tell I've done my research there are volunteers but HPC which we call it for short is the first one to put their money where their mouth is and actually salary me for people's spiritual and pastoral care and um, I mean it really it really is interesting is the word never a dull moment the site is astonishing I mean you can find documentaries and things like that about it on um, on YouTube and so on, but it is just the most amazing construction site. And because in my previous life, before I was a pastor, I was an engineer, I was a geek. Um, I love it here. There's just always something of interest. You feel like you're that five-year-old boy at primary school with your fingers wrapped through the Harris fencing, watching the digger dig. Apart yeah. from here, it's <laughs> the world's biggest crane lifting a 350 ton disc you know it's just it's astonishing and that's why i am north somerset coast okay so i'm really intrigued then about how the how why they decided to put the role in place was it just a recognition of the sheer number of people and the pastoral side of what comes with having that many people on site or yeah i think i think they they were being quite progressive actually they were taking a risk um uh, it was prompted slightly by local clergy and particularly the Diocese of Bath and Wells who said to them, with all of these people, you know, thousands of people, don't you need somebody to look after them? And, uh, and I think it's also a new generation of construction. When I was in, in the electronics industry, really, there was no such thing as pastoral care or mental health first aiders, of which I am one, by the way. Things have really, really changed. But this is the new generation in construction where they're trying to look after people. So... You've got, we've got our own health center here to look after people's physical bodies. We've got mental health first aiders, we call them buddies. We've got, well, nearly 400 of them that we've trained up. Um, as, as I said, I'm one of those, but they wanted to care for people's spiritual and pastoral uh, needs as well. So that, that, that was me and we weren't sure before I, I started, we really weren't sure how the two worlds would meet Would the, um, the world of the construction industry and the spiritual world, would they collide or would they meet? We were all a bit nervous, really. And um, people are quite fruity with their language. It's like, we're going to have a blooming religious bloke on site. What do we need one of those for? And then <laughs> I started January 2020 and COVID struck. Yeah. And after that, it's like, hey, he's our blooming religious bloke. Good stuff, mate. I mean, one very senior person, I won't say exactly what they said, because they used the word that had F in it. They said, if you leave site, mate, we're all then oh, effing screwed was the word they use. So wow. COVID really established me in the role here and, and a few other things where I had to do ceremonies. Um, mm. So they were they were quite progressive uh, in, in it. And it worked astonishingly well. Um, Everyone goes on about diversity and inclusion now, right? And so on. But when I'm in these meetings, I put my hand up and say, excuse me, excuse me, biggest minority by far here, 
I'm a Christian. And I said, and I've been phenomenally welcomed. People, we can, uh, we can be very negative about these things, um, diversity and inclusion, but what it does mean is that people do recognize people's right to believe and be distinctive. It is a protected characteristic and I'm milking it for all it's worth really. Uh, but uh, I've, I've been very, very welcome, David. That's so encouraging to hear, isn't it? As you say, it's quite a progressive thing for um, a construction site to do. do. Do you have many of the people on site? I, I'm guessing they don't all sort of live locally. Do you get people kind of away from their home and their families? Does that bring a particular dimension to things? Yeah, yeah, it does. It's hard work working here. People work long hours. That's only typical of construction industry in general we're not unique but lots of people will travel and then they'll rent a place in Bridgewater which is the nearest town or maybe in Taunton we've got some accommodation um, nearby as well if you ever traveled on the old M5 and, and there was a horrific smell 15 years ago near Bridgewater it was the old cellophane factory and that is now owned by HPC and is accommodation for for people um, but lots of people are away from their home, working hard, earning lots of money and going home at weekends or alternate weekends or actually during COVID, not going home at all. I mean, that was brutal to deal with for, for many of them, separated from their families. So that brings with it all kinds of pastoral issues and loneliness issues and stress issues. As I say, just, just common to construction industry in, in general. And uh, some of that falls under my spiritual and pastoral care remit. Yeah, so do you have sort of an office on site? Do people know where they can get you? Um, and I'm guessing with that many people that you might need some others to help you out as well. How does all that work? Yeah, um, I, I don't have an office. When I'm doing admin, I'm sitting in the kind of senior leadership area and people know they can get me there. So I'm in an and there are time to talk rooms and I can I do drop ins there or I make appointments to see people there. Um, and I wander around the canteens and so on. So my phone number is all over the place. It's public domain, so people can can phone me um, and make appointments in that sense. Yeah, great. Um, and you had the BBC come and film um, on site, didn't you? And so you you were on BBC Two, I think. And um, what was that like? Oh, hey, I'll tell you, can I just say something really interesting before then? Well, it's interesting to me, even if it's not to all your listeners. Um, <laughs> so at the end of my time at, at Creech St. Michael Baptist Church, I had a sabbatical, was wondering what I should do next. And I, mm. I walked the Camino de Santiago, that 500 mile walk, as the song goes in northern Spain, praying about what I should do next. And I was chaplain to, besides being pastor, I was volunteer chaplain to the local authority, which might I say is somewhat different to a construction site. Certainly the language is a bit different. And I came back thinking, uh, I, I would really like to be back where I started. When I was in industry, you kind of become, well, everyone takes the mickey out of you for being a Christian. But when the chips are down, they come to you, you know, can you pray for my wife? Can I talk to you about this and that? There were a few of us who were Christians. We were all doing it. And I thought, I'd like to do that more. That's what led me into ministry um, initially. And then, of course, you go into ministry and you end up doing anything apart from having lots of time to just sit there and talk with them about life issues and spiritual things. Because you're running, rightly, you're running a machine. But I came back and I said to my leadership, I haven't come, I'm not leaving you folks, but this bloke here, and I pointed to my colleague, I said, he's your future, not an old codger like me. And I said, he's the most gifted leader I've worked with in, in years. I said, he's your future. So let's transition the leadership to him if you're open to that. We'll take a year, three years, five. We'll take as long as it takes. I said, unless something like a chaplaincy at Hinkley Point C comes up. Because I said, I, I wouldn't mind being back on the cold face. And believe it or not, four days later, they advertised. And I got the, and I got the post. <laughs> Um, I mean, it had been talked about for ages, so it's not quite as dramatic as it sounds, but it was being talked about and talked about and wasn't going anywhere. And I got the post. So in summary, I am a Baptist pastor, seconded to the Church of England, paid for by NNB, who are owned by EDF. So it's quite a long food chain there. Yeah. Now, you, you asked about the BBC. So they did, they were filming a documentary called um, How to Build 
Britain's biggest nuclear power station. I didn't really know about it. I was about to go on holiday. It was a Friday and I was leaving site. And one of the senior leaders said, doing something next week, because we're about to do like the world's biggest concrete pour. And um, this must have been April 2020. And I said, sure, I'll come in. I said, I'm on leave, but none of us are going anywhere with COVID. So I kind of I dragged myself into sight, unshaven and unkempt hair and so on. And I was walking and they realised that there was a BBC, well, there was, uh, it was a sub crew, but a camera crew behind me, filming me kind of singing, um, singing a, a Coldplay song. Um, and they interviewed me after I'd prayed for this concrete pour. Um, so I'm a chaplain to all faiths and none, but people kind of understand I'm a, a Christian minister. And when I do ceremonies, I'm going to do them from an appropriate um, perspective like that. So I, I, I did a prayer, really, and then told them to get on with it <laughs> at the end of it, kind of unaware of how large the incident was of these people filming me. So when that for the first bit of the first two episodes of that were released uh, about uh, a year ago, um, they put me in as the first scene, which, to be honest, was quite a privilege. Um, to have anything religious in the opening scene of a BBC documentary is quite a privilege, and to have a prayer included was well, was good, really. Um, so, yeah, it raised my profile quite a bit. Um, and, uh, and out of another thing, I, I was invited to do some pause for thoughts on, on Radio 2. I did a, I think I did seven of those. Uh, so a real privilege, real privilege doing that, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, great that it led to other connections as well and a bit of Radio 2 stuff. Uh, that's exciting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, how has the transition into chaplaincy been after you, you know a number of years in local pastorate? I know you sort of spoke about going sort of back to engineering roots, but uh, what's it been like uh, leaving that sort of local church type of ministry behind and, and doing something different? Yeah. I mean, it is it is very different. Uh, sometimes it's nice to just have a change and it really, really is a change. Um, what thrills me is I'm right on the cold face, mm. right where the needs are, um, where people are asking questions about faith, but people are also there in their their pastoral need. And I'm not burdened with a lot of administrative responsibility. So I have time to spend with people. Um, the kind of things I do on site, I mean, I do pastoral spiritual care, a fair amount is what I, of what I do is presence, just walking around. And actually that, that makes people feel that somebody cares for them. There's huge value in that. We mustn't underestimate the power of presence. Um, uh, you know, when I'm walking around site or when I'm in a room talking with somebody, there, there is a huge rate of return on investment, really. What, what would be um, commonplace for us as Christians is quite radical to people um, in the world. The care that we have in the church is so marvellous and we have nothing to complain about. The people I'm dealing with, they have no expectations. They're not looking for the miraculous. They're just grateful for anyone who will spend time with them. So the return on that is really rewarding. Um, it's, it's out of all, it's disproportionate. And I guess some of that is because when I'm when they're talking to me, somebody else is in the room. You know, there's a trinity in the room. Actually, there's four of us in the room, plus the person <laughs> who's come, really. Um, I also do a number of events and ceremonies and things like that, yeah, before major milestones. But I'm not cluttered down with leadership anymore. I'm out of leadership. And there are bits of that that I miss. There's plenty of that that I don't, that I don't miss. Um, so it's exciting to be back on the coalface where people's needs are. People do say to me when I have busy times when there's a lot kicking off and pastoral needs, and, and there have been actually, not, not specifically because of the people here, but because of COVID. Mm. Um, um, and now because of a war, you know, potential war that hangs, that hangs over us. Yeah. Um, yeah that's no, I've, lost, I've lost my train of thought, but, but, but a little bit of pastoral care goes a goes a long long way I've, I've had one guy say to me hey mate whatever that voodoo is that you do can you do it again because i haven't slept well for six months and i'm sleeping fine now so oh, I know, I, the other thing i was going to say is when I have a very busy time people do say how do you cope with this and mm. I, I i'm not able to verbalize them it's actually it's a piece of cake compared to leading a church i'm sure yeah. those who 
those who are listening in who are pastors will know it is really really demanding leading a church and i've led four good churches really i'm, I'm grateful for every one of them but for some reason i can't, can't fully verbalize this is a lot easier and there isn't the weight on my shoulders and I can switch my phone off and I'm not so emotionally involved with people. I mean, I can't be, there's 6,000 plus people here. So you develop your friends, but there isn't the burden that there is in leading the church. So I appreciate that. I do miss certain things from the pastorate. What I miss is, I miss the prayer support, I think. I miss handling the holy. Does that make sense? I miss, I miss leading communion. I miss preaching. I'm not preaching as much as I used to because COVID has kind of um, downsized all of our churches and all of our requirements for external preachers. And so some of what I'm saying there is quite selfish that when you preach and when you minister to others and you get the anointing, as I would call it, you get the washback from it. You get blessed as a byproduct. Yeah, and I'm, yeah. not, I'm not doing that. I would say I'm not moving in the power of the spirit in the same way that I was used to. Um, you'd think I'd be moving more in the power of the spirit because the needs are so much greater here. But the culture doesn't support the moving of the spirit like that. So I miss that. I miss handling the holy. I miss mm. being sometimes I miss being around people who are holy. I mean, you in an industry like this, you can't get twitchy about people's language. You know, you'd be twitching all the time. I've got bigger fish to fry. Um, but yeah, but you do kind of feel you sometimes need to brush yourself off at the end of the day. But the other side of that coin is people have such integrity, brutal integrity, and there's something lovely about it, about the honesty of people. There's no sham and so on. And I've learned something in the church. I think people can be soft on the outside, but hard on the inside. Because they're mm -hmm. belief people. So when you prod their beliefs, people react. And uh, the less they know about it, the more they react. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a bit like you and I used to write against our sermons, mate. Not so sure about this bit. Shout louder here. Yeah. And that's, that, that's what you get with Christians sometimes. But it's the opposite here, that people are, some of the blokes, they're hard on the outside, but soft on the inside. And I've learned the bigger the bloke, the softer their heart that's why they weightlift that's why the, they're the size they are that's why they act like they do because actually they're really kind and there is kindness here i'll give you an example somebody who was kind of dear to me died in in my congregation about a year ago while i was here and i was quite upset and got talking to these two lads they're the alpha males in the in the north canteen and uh, and i got a bit choked up and, um, and they said, what's the matter? I said, well, actually, you know, this teenage gal who was, um, she was expected to die because she was born um, with issues that would present later on in life. I said, I've just, you know, we just lost her. I'm a bit cut up about it. And these blokes, oh, mate, I've got a daughter that age. And these two blokes who I'm supposed to comfort broke regulations because it was COVID regs then, put their arms around me. And I thought, this is the wonder of being in a place like this, that here I am. I am the chaplain with these two guys who are just the size of houses comforting me. And um, it's the brutality and the cold face of it that I love. And, and as such, it is a significant work. Um, people are finding faith. Uh, I'm a chaplain to all faiths and none, so I do point people to other faiths. But I'm about, I've got um, night two of an alpha course tonight. We ran an alpha course a year ago. Okay. And, you know, people are finding faith. It's not, let's get, let's not exaggerate this as we Christians are prone to doing it. People are not asking, what must I do to be saved? In all the troublesome time that we're going through, they don't even know what questions to ask. So revival might be happening in other parts of the country, but it's not on my watch. But people one by one are finding their faith again. Yeah. You know, I, I said how um, some of the stuff I do is pastoral. I would say I'm a mate for the journey i'm a flagstaff on a hill i'm a reminder that people to people that they once had faith i'm a signpost pointing them to mental health people who can can help them i'm a mirror as i reflect back to them but people are slowly finding faith one by one and that is really really significant so i miss being with christians all the time 
but actually I, 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 I love helping people find Christ. As Jesus said, I have food that you know nothing about, and that is food for my soul. So one by one, trying to make a difference there. Yeah, wonderful. I'm just so glad you're there doing what you're doing, really. I mean, it's such an important opportunity and uh, fantastic to hear about how that's going. I hope Alpha continues to go well. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, um, on the podcast, we ask everybody who comes on um, the same two questions. And I'm going to pose those questions to you now as well. Um. And the first one is, if you had one thing to declare to the union uh, in this moment, what would it be? Um, I think I'd like to thank, thank them, really. I, I mentioned about my role of being seconded to the Church of England. And when this was being considered, this post was being considered and whether I would keep my ordination um, or, or not, um, my regional minister, and the union were just so flexible and agile. I think I'd like to thank our family of churches for mm. being so mission oriented rather than having to wear the badge. You, you might remember, David, from Winchester days when we were side by side for a while there. Um, I loved all the interchurch stuff that I did. It was yes. such a huge yeah. privilege. And, and I think we as Baptists are really well positioned for for that because we're agile and we're flexible so though we are part of the baptist family we're we're, we're really really concerned about the mission rather than the label and in the early days of this role particularly the union was just so helpful in making this happen and even though i'm actually under the umbrella of the diocese of bath and wells so technically i'm in the anglican fold my regional minister is still in touch. I'm still part of the Baptist stuff and the local cluster. And uh, I have to say, I think we're probably the most flexible of some of the denominations. Mm -hmm. So I think I'd like to give them thanks for that, really. <laughs> and we need to be agile in these days when church is adapting. By that, I do not mean that we throw away meeting together. Um, that's that's quite an issue for me, really, really here, trying to get people into local churches, which is really, really hard. So how much do I gather them here? Because I, I don't want to set up a church in competition with any of the churches that are 25 minutes down the road. So I'm not suggesting that we should give up meeting together, but we need to be agile in these days. And, yeah. and I think our family of churches is it's a good place to be. Good minute. Baptist ministers are the best in the world, mate particularly you and me well that, that's just what i was thinking just what i was yeah. thinking um, and, and if you think that baptists have one thing to declare to the world what would it be right um do you know what's been really useful here that when i first came one of the questions was how is this bloke who's an ordained christian minister going to be a chaplain to all faiths and none so that the, the unions were worried about that. Others were worried about it as well. And one of my first meetings, I remember it was over the phone when we were talking about my induction meeting. I said, you've really, really got nothing to worry about here because Baptists, certainly in the United Kingdom, were the very first to believe in people's rights to believe what they believed. We were the first to fight for religious freedom, to practice mm. your own faith. Now, you and I know the history behind that is probably something, can you? Can everyone practice their faith so you'll stop persecuting us so much? Yeah. But when I could say to them that one of the labels of my you know, denomination, my family of churches is respect for other people's faith, it carried some clout. Um, and I've continued to present that here. And in that sense, I've bashed the Baptist drum a little bit. And so I, 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 I'm a paid up, Jesus loving, broad evangelical, charismatic Christian. Um, but I respect other people's faith and we're doing things slightly differently here. Now, that doesn't mean it won't end up. It might go awry. But so far, two and a bit years in, it hasn't. 
in most workplaces, they suppress religious expression. That's their way of dealing with diversity, okay? You just, nobody's allowed to talk about their faith at all. The whole thing is, is um, taboo. We do religion here on Hinckley Point. Um, if it's mainstream and it's good, and I actually say if it's not bonkers, I say they like things like that, you know, when you're yeah. blunt about it. I say, we do religion here. So um, we allow people to bring their faith to work because it is part of who they are. Um, I get on well with the Muslim community. The, the previous two leaders of it became like best mates. And in the early days when there weren't many Christians, they were two of the people who actually believed something on site. And I really, really appreciated them. And in the first year, I wanted to do a Christmas tree competition. And of course, you know, some, oh, well, we, we, we can't have this. Because the thought is, if we have this, won't everyone object to it? So I thought, I'm going to go and talk to my mates. So I went to talk to the two Muslim leaders and I said, how would you feel about us having a Christmas tree competition or a Christmas tree on site? They said, you want a Christmas tree? You should blooming well have a Christmas tree. How can we make it happen? Do you want us to pay for it? And in the end, they didn't have to pay for it. But part of that process was um, I played a big part in their first end of Ramadan um, Eid meal and I said we'll pay the Christian community will pay for your next Eid meal may I just say that is a whole lot more expensive than a Christmas tree <laughs> but that's the way that's the way we want to do it here and again I am different to most I do say listen folks because because people do say oh, well you and we, we know all, all religions are the same and in my mind I think only a person who didn't understand religion would say that so I think it but I don't say it what I do say in the right context is, you know, all religions do not believe the same thing. They, they are not the same, but we can bloom and well respect one another. We can find out what one another believe. So it's built on respect and understanding. And that's the way it's got to be for the world to go forward. And I think as Baptists, we're well equipped for that. So that's something I think I would say to the wider Baptist family in the world. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. I love that. And thank you so much for being willing to come onto the podcast and share a little bit about what's going on uh, at Hinkley. And uh, we look forward to uh, hearing more and maybe seeing you on BBC Two another time as well. Who knows? <laughs> Thanks, main man. God bless you, mate. Good to talk again. Speak to you soon. Yeah. Bye bye. So Beth, that was Ewan and Ministry at Hinckley and a variety of other things as well. Uh, what did you make of that? What struck you? Oh, well, I, I always want to say the tone of people as well as what they say, all of it. Um, but um, I think we obviously created this podcast because uh, we wanted to celebrate all of the people that we loved being in union with um, and, and to hear their stories. And I, I think this was following on from last week and all of this series and last series just really yet again realizing how vastly different everybody's ministries are um, but how they are all um, bringing together the holy and the ordinary and that you know the complete mm. breadth of stories and the complete breadth of characters that people have and they're kind of different gifts and styles but they yeah for for me it was just really brought home in this particular interview I think because he is somebody who um, manages to be very holy and very deep in a very very normal way um, so it you know you kind of listen again to it and you think gosh that was that was hugely profound but he's he says it in such an easy to access and um, non-christianese kind of way and it was brilliant really interesting yeah yeah brilliant and um I, I just think the work is fascinating at, at Hinckley. Um, but I mean, I've not been a, a chaplain, so I guess you would have more sort of natural instinctive understanding of a lot of the challenges that you and spoke about. I mean, you know, I was chaplain to the mayor of Southend a few years ago, but it, doesn't, it wasn't a full-time job. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, what did you make about some of the things that you and was saying about the distinction between sort of local pastorate ministry and, and chaplaincy and and the challenges that come with that yeah so um absolutely hear what he was saying about not having the the kind of the challenge of church leadership um as part of the role so you can be with people in a whole different kind of way the presence 
part of the role opens up because um, you're not the one that needs to coordinate um, kind of the the kind of business life of the community, if that's the right way of putting it. Um, that that kind of householdness of church that we do isn't um, isn't part of your role in the same way. So um, you may have oversight over worship, but you don't have it over the kind of same level of like doing the budgets and chairing the church meetings, um, which is is a really different thing. It's a really different thing. And, and it's hugely freeing. And at times it's really bizarre. <laughs> so, so you suddenly realize that you don't have the power in the community at all. Whereas actually mm -hmm. as local ministers, um, you know, we do, we often have, you know, the kind of that sense of, you know, we, we'd kind of have some sort of authority voice in that space. Um, and it's different when you have to earn that by uh, your companionship to the community if that's the right way of putting it um, and so I think that's a very different way of, of, of modeling ministry which I think for me is absolutely everything I love I, I yeah. find the kind of um, I've no particular desire to kind of chair yet another church meeting or worry about agendas um, I'm much you know it's not that I can't do those things but but for me it's 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 a release to be able to be uh, in the pastoral care um, and the pastoral care often of people who are not Christians and don't speak faith as their, you know, part of their world um, at all, or if they do, may have another faith entirely, um, and kind of thinking about what it is to be alongside and be present to those people. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a really, I love that. I love that I get to spend most of my time with people who aren't Christians. I'm really, I think it's a real gift because I think in church life, you can get in a bit of a bubble sometimes um so I really love that and I think um yeah you can't do it if you don't really love that but but he said this phrase about um missing handling the holy and not having that same washback of the holy spirit work and I mm. thought that was really fascinating I, I mean we do get to handle the holy because it's you know a college that's got chapel and theological parts to it and ministerial students um but I think um I would say that's still somewhat true the, the kind of um you receive yeah really different kind of connections with people kind of you know um and that's it's really interesting the kind of like you're in it's much more the ordinary and much less the kind of pious thing but I, and also his his description of how people work spiritually as being um uh soft on the churches are people are soft on the outside but maybe have hard bits in the middle um as standard and then within kind of what he was doing he was saying about the people being harder on the outside in some ways but with really soft hearts once you kind of see inside um and I thought um you know that that honesty and non-church learnt piousness thing um is really present in the stuff that I do so um you know people usually come because a situation has meant they needed to come um and so you're you're kind of through the hard outside by the time you get there something about that hasn't hasn't quite worked for them um and so you get the kind of the soft bit on the in the middle um, and that's a huge privilege um I love that and I really like I thought that was a really yeah really helpful thing he talks about that interestingly doesn't he because about people who are weightlifting and um you know kind of you know blokes on a construction site thing but it's I thought well you know I work with probably quite a different cohort um but they that I think I think that's still true actually um mm, really interesting and what you're saying about um the sort of the feedback if you like that you you don't get as in because you haven't got a congregation to engage with in, in the same way, I think came up quite a lot during the pandemic as well, wasn't it? You had a lot of sort of ministers were talking about um, they were still doing things and giving out, but actually they were really missing the blessing mm -hmm. of doing that face to face with the community. And so I, I really sort of understood some of that dynamic because I guess you sort of almost permanently don't have that in, in some way. Um, so it's very, very different. Although he's obviously in this huge setting, right? And yeah, it's, it's um, whereas I have, um, you know, the joy of being in is 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 a college. It's still quite, you know, it's it's still quite a small community. And I, yeah. I was also thinking, um, he kind of brought up a little bit in the way that the 
one of the real joys for me of being chaplain um, is the way the community are then chaplain back to you. And um, there are moments where you, you know, you you share life with them in some way and they um, they they look after you too. You know, it's not this one dimensional thing ever. Like you have, again, it's, you, you don't have the power to be the person that, that kind of provides all this, the stuff and then kind of, um, yeah, you're the one that gives and don't receive. It's, it's kind of, um, so I, I had a moment, um, I had to work with a colleague about a situation for a student and um, uh, they um, they put I, in my pigeonhole, I have a pigeonhole at work, they put a chocolate brownie and a little note saying, sorry for the swearing, which is what uh, connected it to me yeah. <laughs> with this, um, like, sorry for the swearing about the situation because it was what it was one that, you know, shocked them quite a lot. Um, but um, here's a chocolate brownie as a last treat before Lent. And um, I just thought how gorgeous that was as, a, you know, somebody just kind of popping that back to me as, as you know, a way of caring for me. And, and, and I just thought that was really lovely. And um, there are lots of moments where I think that's, that's true. I have really great colleagues. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, and, and that, that's just a, it's the joy. I think the joy sometimes of being chaplain for me is, um, I think I try really hard not to resist the perfect narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, there is, I also work at Oxford University, so there's a perfect narrative anyway, academically, but um, I think it's about trying to be very human. Um, and and that's sometimes, you know, you have to be careful about that, but I think um, the joys of that one, yeah, yeah, you get those really good, real deep moments of connection with people. I uh, was taken back to a number of childhood memories um, listening to you and talk about the language and um, building sites and things like that. My father's a bricklayer by trade and uh, often uh, family discourses peppered with um, interesting words. Um, I'm the odd one out in that regard in our, our family. Most of my family aren't, aren't Christians and, and um, I was about to say I'm very grateful to God for that, which is not quite what I meant. But... <laughs> Time, I kind of am and um it, I, I every so often you have that moment where you're at an event or something and someone swears and they sort of apologize because they realize you're present and I hadn't even really noticed you know yeah, I mean? yeah. it's not something I do but I'm very used to being in the company of, it's like I don't drink actually but you know parties of people where no one's drinking are very dull I much prefer to be in the company of people who are so um yeah it was just a an interesting thing um just reminded me of family gatherings and the building sites my dad was working on and being there in school holidays sometimes and various other bits and pieces um I wondered what you you made um of uh, Ewan's answers to um our, st- our sort of our regular questions as well mm. so there was you know that what would he declare to the union at this moment but then also what might we have to declare to the world because I don't know what I was expecting you to say, but I'm not sure these were the answers I was expecting, but I, I thought they were both rather wonderful. Um, so in terms of talking to the union, he, he talk, said about saying thank you mm. for the support and obviously really appreciating his association down there in the Southwest, so hat tip to them, um, but also about the flexibility and, and all those sorts of things. And I thought, yeah, I, I think it's very easy to beat up on you know, the structures and all the rest of it. Whereas actually we are much more flexible than a lot of uh, denominational life. And I, th- I thought it was a really um, moving answer, actually. Mm. Yeah, it was just lovely, wasn't it? That the answer was thank you, that we can be really grateful for what we are as well. Mm. Yeah, and I think um, that's, I think that's something I've, I've really appreciated being back out of some of the central structures is those moments where I feel really grateful for when I phone up and say hey what about this and I don't know what to do with a kind of renewed sense of gratitude that that's there for us um in the kind of um you know a central resourcing <laughs> whatever we call it <laughs> um and um and I think it's um yeah but they're people aren't they it's it's the same way you know they're people who bring their particular gifts to service in that way and when they do it's really lovely and that the way they can not see it as like a one size fits all model. We are so free as Baptists. I think we miss that. Um, I have half a toe in Anglicanism at all time. And um, I've also worked ecumenically for a long, for a lot of my life. And 
I'm really aware of how much bureaucracy we don't have. Um, and I know you love a committee, David, so I, I, <laughs> I wouldn't want to deprive you of, of an opportunity to be on a committee at any point. But, um, but I think, you know, uh, we have got this extraordinary freedom to, to respond to each person and say, this is what God is calling you to be in this space. And this is where our theology and practices led us this far. And this is where we think God's Holy Spirit is at work in the world. So this is what we'll do for you. Um, and rather than it being a kind of, um, you know, the computer says no kind of approach, um, we've got, I think, I think um, you know, the people who, you know, within kind of ministries team and, um and faith and society team and 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 all the kind of you know all the kind of uh, big you know buildings resourcing treasury teams as well actually um you know is often about trying to find creative solutions and they are so good at that and i think the fact that we have a union that's really has that as part of its identity um that we are you know missional instinctively missional in that way we were talking about fresh expressions in a class i was doing yesterday um and um it was really interesting that i i just have this thing about fresh expressions because i just think what is what are we doing if we're not missional community <laughs> we're not missional church already um and i know it's sort of interesting kind of looking at kind of the developments of, of kind of that anglican trajectory of, of kind of missiology uh, being a really radical departure for them whereas for us it's actually this is this is what we think church is right and um, yeah I know there will be new ways of doing that at all times but we've always been doing that in new ways at all times as Baptist um yeah yeah and then in terms of declaring to the world you and spoke about uh, religious freedom and religious liberty um and that particularly connects I think with some of what you were saying about chaplaincy as well which I thought was really interesting um and I remember hearing a sermon once must have been before I went to theological college where someone was talking about the importance of defending the rights of, of people to believe what they believe I'm not sure I'd ever really considered it up until that point most of the Christian events and literature I'd read were all about you know Christians are better than everybody else um, and actually the Baptist voice in that moment is quite distinct and distinct sort of within evangelicalism distinct within broader denominational life um, and it, it's only going to get more important to mm. maintain distinctive, I think. I was having a conversation with a Jewish colleague um, a couple of days ago and um, learning a bit more about her, their faith and um, just what I needed to know to enable stuff through for students. And it was a deeply helpful conversation. Um, but it was really interesting that the kind of comment was that we we were a we were a college community that because we were had faith as part of our heritage and very owned owned that in a particular way that that gave freedom for other faiths um because actually we weren't this kind of um we must like i think religious pluralism has a habit of it's what linda woodhead always talks about the nons isn't it the kind of the the kind of descent into kind of a pluralism that means you can't believe anything um and we have to keep the kind of um, you know, to, to have it, a faith is to be exclusive. Um, whereas actually, I think um, often the gift is that if you can own faith as a really important dimension to people's lives, and I would include, you know, agnosticism and atheism and 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 kind of not sureisms <laughs> um, in that too. You know, the kind of you know that there's a if you can hold spirituality, maybe that's a better way of putting it. If you hold spirituality, is really important, um, and people's. Uh, needing to bring that spiritual identity to their workplace or to their um, academic work or um, and not seeing as it's something that they can kind of just you know park neatly in a corner um, I think that's I think that's a real gift um, and something really important although I have to say I was really interested because he'd also talked about evangelism uh, yes yeah and I I really want to know how those two things sit together um, I'm really interested in that um, if you are uh, offering that kind of chaplaincy, then how do you appropriately evangelize in that setting? Is that, um, you know, I, I, I think it's a really interesting question because obviously we're called to share good news. And for me, I think I see that in a kind of more, the most broader sense of, um, you know, embodying that in the way, hopefully I treat people and care for them 
and if they have if they want to know why I do what I do then I have an answer ready but but kind of not proselytizing I guess mm-hmm. that's probably the right way of putting it um yeah so I was really interested by that and the kind of potential tensions there um also can we just note the joy of uh everywhere else maybe having revival we're not we've only got 90 people on an alpha course <laughs> like only only 90 people on an alpha course yeah that what what does revival look like I don't know but I think 90 people on a on a course might be might be one of the things I would go to yeah I'd certainly take that if somebody offered it to us um in this moment brilliant well uh thanks to Ewan for uh chatting with us and inspiring our, our conversation another person and whereas we say usually you know it's become usual we don't want to take it for granted but you know we chat to these wonderful people hear their stories and think yeah I'd be up for being in their church I've been in Ewan's church and it was as much of a blessing as you'd anticipate it was uh, quite quite wonderful indeed and well Beth you're gonna uh, finish with our blessing this week so over to you Yes, I am. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in, for listening uh, to Ewan's story and um, and and our reflections. Uh, we we love um, hearing all your feedback each week when the when they go out as well. We really enjoy engaging. So please do um, uh, Twitter and tweet us if that's a, a phrase that means anything to you. Um, and we we love uh, we just love hearing your your stories as you reflect in your your engagements too. So um, yeah, as we celebrate each other and um, hear what we all bring to the mission of God. Um, So let's have a blessing for our week. May you see opportunities to bring hope, healing and peace where others do not. May you have courage to speak up for those that get overlooked. May you be aware of God's spirit at work in the words you speak, the safe spaces you create and the relationships you build. You are loved by God. May those that you encounter know that they are loved too. It's a a very appropriate blessing for uh, a chaplaincy, really, isn't it? (laughs) Right, absolutely right. Well, thank you, Beth. Thank you, Ewan. And thank you to everybody for listening to Something to Declare this week.